Thanks for tuning in. I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. In this episode, a union with close ties to top left-wing senators targets the technology industry for an organizing campaign. Our colleagues at Dangerous Documentaries take aim at the late, probably communist, and terribly influential historian author Howard Zinn. And we remember Gertrude Himmelfarb, historian of Victorian-era philanthropy, who passed away before the new year. While it might be tempting to root for injuries in the coming blue-on-blue battle over unionizing technology companies, don't be fooled. Communications Workers of America is a far-left force seeking to increase its power and the power of open socialists in American politics. Its efforts to organize tech companies are a signal that one of America's most radical unions is on the attack looking to expand. The LA Times reports, the campaign to organize digital employees, code for short, is a new project of the Communications Workers of America aimed specifically at unionizing video game and tech companies. And who are the CWA? Well, we can see by analyzing just one tweet from Union Vice President Sarah Nelson from before Christmas. Nelson, who heads the Association of Flight Attendants Division of CWA, released photographs of herself with U.S. Senators Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, claiming, quote, I paid zero for these selfies. But behind the bluster is a tight institutional connection between the Communication Workers Union and the left-wing activism that Warren and Sanders represent. The union endorsed Sanders' 2016 presidential campaign and funded the Working Families Party National Committee, the headquarters of the far-left faction that also backed the Vermonter against Democratic establishment favorite Hillary Clinton. The Sanders-aligned Our Revolution Advocacy Group, described by the Associated Press as a, quote, shadow group that provides Sanders' super PAC support he scorns, is chaired by Larry Cohen, the immediate past president of the Communication Workers of America. And Warren's political machine, too, has received the institutional support of the CWA, with CWA-affiliated PACs supporting her campaigns for U.S. Senate, and with the union funding Demos, the far-left think tank chaired by Warren's daughter that helped promote Warren's 2003 manifesto, The Two-Income Trap. So whatever you think of Google, against which CWA has already filed labor board charges, a typical union strategy during a corporate organizing campaign, know well that the union seeking to infiltrate it is no friend. I'd call him the most consequential radical scholar you've never heard of, but there's a pretty good probability that if you've been in a history class in the past quarter century, you've had to read, or say that you read, I went to college, Howard Zinn's book. And for those blessedly unfamiliar with Zinn or his A People's History of the United States, that's a people's history in the same sense as People's Republic, our Capital Research Center colleagues at Dangerous Documentaries and libertarian filmmaker Rob Montz offer a far briefer seven-minute introduction to Zinn's radical ideology, the influence of his book, and his convenient false narrative of European invaders despoiling a pre-Columbian paradise in their latest installment of the Architects of Woke video series. So, who is Howard Zinn? On the surface, he was a professor of history at Boston University, just another progressive liberal left academic. But the available evidence suggests that Zinn was more than that. While he denied it when asked, FBI informants indicated that Zinn was a member of the Communist Party of the United States of America during the early 1950s, at the height of Cold War tensions with the Soviet Union. Ron Radosh, a historian and himself a renounced CPUSA member turned conservative writer, noted that the FBI file released after Zinn's death showed Zinn was a member of numerous CPUSA front organizations. And the CPUSA wasn't just an extremist far-left group. Its activities were orchestrated by the Soviet regime, and its leadership was implicated in the KGB's espionage activities against the United States. For more on the Communist Party, see episode 86 of this podcast, in which we discuss the CPUSA's Moscow-directed flip-flop on opposition to the Nazis after the Soviet Union signed the Molotov-Rippentrop Pact to divide Poland and start the Second World War. 
Radosh further noted that Zinn's activities after Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev's secret speech that detailed the crimes against humanity of Stalin were consistent with those of radical left activists disillusioned with the CPUSA, by which they created moral equivalence, allowing people like Zinn to be, quote, critical of the East, while saving most of his fire for the imperialist policies of the United States, and Zinn aligned with radical factions like Maoists and Trotskyites. Then Zinn wrote a book, the legacy of which Radosh called, quote, worse than anything he ever did as a member of the Communist Party. Don't take Radosh's word for it. At Influence Watch, our profile of Zinn compiles numerous left liberal in addition to right-leaning writers criticizing Zinn for subordinating facts to his America is bad narrative. How bad could this fact subordinating be? Well, left-leaning historian Sam Weinberg wrote in the magazine of the American Federation of Teachers Labor Union that Zinn drew his estimates of German civilian casualties of Allied strategic bombing in the Second World War from David Irving, a Holocaust denier. And while Zinn's extremist ideology and questionable sourcing do not invalidate every objection raised to the pre-Zinn narratives of patriotic history, yes, the Europeans came to the Americas with violence to conquer the land and peoples before them, they should caution strongly against what Weinberg called Zinn's undue certainty. And in our final item, we mark the passing of Gertrude Himmelfarb, historian of Victorian England and member of the intellectual community that developed into the original neoconservatism, before the term became a slur for right-leaning people the speaker doesn't like. Himmelfarb, also known for being the widow of neoconservative intellectual Irving Kristol, quote, achieved intellectual fame as a writer with her third book, Victorian Minds, of 1968. The collection of essays on major figures in the British 19th century challenged the prevailing view of the Victorians as incurious moral prudes, contending that the old virtues, temperance, chastity, industry, didn't repress individual creativity. Instead, they enabled a century of cultural flourishing and political stability, in the words of editors of the Wall Street Journal. Our colleague Michael Hartman recalls Himmelfarb's work on the history of Victorian-era philanthropy, noting that many of the criticisms of modern philanthropic efforts from the left are similar to those they levied against the Victorians. I will here read some select snippets from Hartman's remembrance. Himmelfarb acknowledges criticisms of Victorian philanthropy, including some that sure seem awfully familiar and attention-getting today. The gravamen of the charge now is that philanthropy is all too often a self-serving exercise on the part of philanthropists at the expense of those whom they are ostensibly helping, according to her summary. Himmelfarb sees this criticism as a corollary to the social control thesis. Just as Victorian values are said to have been an instrument for the pacification of the working class, so Victorian philanthropy is described as a device for the subjugation of even the more vulnerable class of the very poor. Dispensers of charity managed to keep the undeserving poor in a condition of servility in the workhouse, and the deserving poor were forced into that same labor market on terms set by employers. Discontent was suppressed, the status quo maintained, and profits secured. Himmelfarb's rebuttal to this point remains relevant. By this mode of reasoning, any philanthropic enterprise, regardless of its nature or effect, can be disparaged and discredited. For the full piece, please read Gertrude Himmelfarb's Appreciation of the Victorian Age of Philanthropy, capitalresearch.org. That's our show for this week. If you're listening to this on YouTube, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you next week.